I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Understand the lay of the land that we live in. Watch for opposition. But opposition is not an excuse to stop working for redemption. Watch for opposition. Be aware of the world you live in. Watch for the problems and, and those places where resistance is going to be put up. But continue to work for redemption. Are you hearing me, church? We have to. We don't get to opt out of this. This is Sozo Church. So, uh, in the midst of this series, Great Expectation, um, I, I want to just lay all the cards to the table. We're, we're coming to the end of it. We're coming to the end of the series. I've tried to, to build uh, some, some things into us as we've kind of walked through this series, and I just want to lay it all out on the table this morning. My attempt in the midst of this series is to make us a kingdom-minded people. It is to, to reorient our hope away from a, a system and a world and a life and a lifestyle that is corrupted, that is ultimately flawed and broken and disappointing and into what Hebrews calls a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Under that this morning, I want to talk to you under the title, Another King and Another Kingdom. Another King and Another Kingdom. You see, we are are called fundamentally as Christians to a loyalty that does not find its root here in this world. We serve another king who rules over another kingdom. Our loyalty, our primary loyalty, and and let me put it this way, our primary efforts ought not to be solely based on what we can, can experience this side of eternity, or maybe another way to put it is fully experienced with these these bodies we currently possess, the, the senses that we currently have access to, but rather our lives ought to exist in a reality that is, dare I say, superior to the reality that we know in and through our daily lives. My my attempt this morning is actually going to be to look at the man, the mission, and the motivation of Paul. As we read this passage in Thessalonians, I'll be honest, I I sort of struggled to try to find a way to structure the message this morning in a way that communicated what I believe was really on Paul's heart as he wrote this message to the, the Thessalonian church. We, we talked about this. Second Thessalonians is, is not so much a book like other books that Paul wrote, where Paul is primarily concerned with teaching. This is really a response. So the, the church in Thessal, the, the Thessalonian church was, was under opposition and persecution, and they were kind of freaking out about some stuff. And they, they sent a letter, it appears, off to Paul with some questions and concerns. And, and this 
three-chapter letter is Paul's sort of email response back at the church to try to encourage them and focus their attention where it needs to be focused. And so this morning, I want to really look at Paul because I, I think from seeing Paul, we can understand what he's saying here. He's getting to the personal part of his message. We need to understand that Paul lived in the same broken, fallen, messed up world that we do. Paul's, Paul's existence was not fundamentally different than our own. He, he, he experienced pain, he experienced loss, he experienced joy, he experienced great success and great setbacks. And, and so when, as we look at Paul, I think we can, we can help find the right way to orient ourselves in the face of opposition. Paul's world was, was just as messed up as ours. He, he faced corruption. He faced difficulty. He faced persecution. When he lived in a time where his own people were being oppressed and occupied by an outside government filled with corrupt politicians. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying, talking about Paul. Paul's life was much like ours, a life lived out in the midst of struggle. And yet at the same time, it has been said by non-Christian people, okay, what I'm about to tell you is not something the church proclaims, this is something that any major historian will tell you. Paul is probably the most influential human being that ever lived. More of the way that we think, more of the way that things are structured is based around what is called Paulinian theology. Paul was used by God to write the majority of the New Testament. Are you aware of this? Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. Um, again, we believe under the inspiration of God. And, and this has shaped human history and human thinking more than any other book. So Paul, what I'm trying to get at is this. Paul lived in a world messed up like we do. And yet God used Paul to fundamentally shift that world, to, to influence and impact that world. So might we learn a little bit, hello, from looking at Paul. And I think we see a great glimpse into Paul's heart in this text. Paul was incredibly intelligent. What did he think about? Paul was incredibly motivated. What did he give himself to? So in, in the face of all of the injustice, all of the opposition, all of the hardship, all of the, the, the difficult, bad things that surrounded him, what did Paul respond with? I, I want to say this. Paul responded by saying we need to stay on mission by staying on message. We need to stay on mission by staying on message. What's the first thing that Paul prays or, or, or does here? He asks them for prayer, which we're going to get to that in a moment. He asks for prayer, but what does he ask for prayer for? He says, pray that, that I might be able to preach the, the word of God and that it might be effective in the world just like it was effective in you. Paul essentially says, look, we, we as believers, me, Paul, say he, he as, a, as, a, as an ambassador for Christ, as a messenger from God, has a mission to fulfill. And that mission, please hear me, is intimately woven together with the message. His whole heart is to proclaim and preach the word of God into this corrupt world that he finds himself in. Paul, again, we've, we've, we, we've heard, 
right? That Paul was probably one of the most intelligent and, and certainly was the most influential human being in human history. And notice what he did. He stayed on mission by staying on message. Can I just speak to us here as believers for a minute? We have got to stop letting the world, hello somebody, dictate our narrative. We've got to stop handing the keys of the conversation over to people who do not have the answer. Listen, there's, there is much the church ought to be doing in this day and age. Okay? There's much we ought to be about. There's much work to do. There's much good to be done. There's much service that we ought to be doing to the world that we're in. But listen to me. If we stop preaching the gospel, the gospel stops being preached. No one else is going to preach the gospel. So when we fail to stay on mission by staying on message, the mission fails. And Paul here is saying, look, there are evil men who are not faithful, who are trying to stop what is happening. And I'm asking you to pray for me that I stay on mission and I stay on message. Let the word of God be, be, be honored. Let God be, be heard in the midst of all of the noise. Let God be heard. Got to stay on mission by staying on message. He says, I want to preach the gospel and I want to see the progress of God's people. He, he literally sets up, if you look at what he says here, he's setting up the Thessalonian church and what God did there as the model for what he's giving his life to. Can, can, I, can I tell you this? About Bill Hybels, Pastor Bill Hybels, he's a pastor and an author, said something that, that fundamentally shifted the course of my life. He said the local church is the hope of the world. And when he first said it, I'll be honest, I kind of pulled back and kind of, I'm not sure I really agree with that. But the more I pondered what he said and the more I, I looked into the scriptures, the more I realized that, that nowhere in, in the 66 books of this does God give any other instrument by which he will bring about the proclamation of the gospel. And what I mean by that is this, the, the rescuing of lost people and the restoration of a lost world. He, he doesn't give that job to anybody else other than his people. So I think Hybels is right in saying that the local church is the hope of the world. I think that's what Paul was trying to say here. He's saying, look, man, there are evil people and wickedness going on in the world. So pray, please hear me, church, not that, that social justice would reign in the world. Not that right would be done by all people. But that the word of God would be proclaimed and be fruitful as it's proclaimed, like it is in the church. That's what we've got to get to. If we get off mission, if we get off message, the mission fails and the message is no longer preached. Listen, I, let's just get real nitty gritty here. I believe we ought to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. But if we don't, somebody else can do that. Are you understanding me this morning? I'm not saying this is not a good thing to do. We ought to be doing it. The church ought to be leading in it. When we pull back from those areas, we miss an opportunity to preach the gospel. But the work of feeding and clothing can be done by other people, but no one else can preach the gospel. So Paul's first prayer, his first request is say, pray for me. I think the reason why he asks for prayer is because he feels the same pull to, to dive into the narrative that the world was screaming to him just like we do. It is so easy to just jump in, I'll be real, into the middle of the pig pen. 
and start hucking mud. It's really easy, and here's the deal. If, if I'm gonna be honest about myself, it makes me feel really good. It boosts my ego, because I can throw mud better than most people. I talk for a living. But does it produce anything? I think about the story, and we're not gonna go there, but I think about, in, in the midst of this, the, the story of, of Lazarus, a, a, a dead man in, in a grave, and Jesus comes, please hear me, church, Jesus, Jesus comes, and, and Lazarus' sisters, they, they get angry at Jesus. They get frustrated. They, 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 they come, they say, if you would have just been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus' response is to try to tell them, listen, I am the response. I am here. And he goes to the tomb, and I'm, I'm jumping over details because I don't have time to detail. He goes to the tomb, and, and one of my, my favorite frustrating moments in the Gospels, Jesus, who has already declared himself to be the very essence, the very core, the very embodiment of, of, of the life that God has for us, calling himself by title the resurrection, tells them, hey, I know he's, he's, he's in that tomb. Back, back then, they, they buried people in caves. They would put your body in a cave, literally until your flesh rotted off, and they'd gather up your bones, and they'd put it in a box. So he's in that stage right now. And they put a big boulder in front of it, and Jesus says, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. He goes up to the tomb. He says, move the rock away, and this is the part that just makes me like, ah. he goes, move, move the rock, and they go, but it'll smell bad. How often, church, how often does God want to put us right in the middle of a dead situation to use us to bring about his kingdom, his life, his resurrection in that situation, and we make stupid excuses like it'll smell bad? <laughs> I, I, I love that, Jesus, that I'm not Jesus and Jesus isn't me because I would have just like, they all would have died. They just, that's just... I'd have been like gone and I'd have teleported new people here. Like Round two, okay? Somebody move the rock. <laughs> Anybody who said it stinks, they die and somebody else would come. This is why it's good that I'm not God. And all God's people said. Um, of, of, of course it's gonna smell. He's dead. People talk to him all the time about like, well, I was hanging around with this you know, person who has not yet been rescued, an unregenerated, unsaved, non-Christian person, and, and they think different, they talk different, they talk bad, and they think bad, and they, they're opposed to God. Uh-huh. They're dead. Well, what do you think we should do in talking? Listen, we, I'm just going to get to the point. We are letting dead people dictate to us our narrative. Listen, all dead people want to talk about is what's that smell? If we continue to let dead people dictate to us the conversation, everything remains dead. We gotta stay on mission, we gotta stay on message. Are you with me, church? Paul asked her prayer, says, we gotta stay on mission, we gotta stay on message. I think though he, he does acknowledge in this text, if we're looking at, at the, the man, the mission, and the motives, he does acknowledge in the mission 
that we've got to learn how to watch for opposition while we work for redemption. He, Paul is not trying to act like, hey, listen, jump into the mission of Jesus and everything's just gonna go great in your life. I, I'm just, I'm gonna be really honest. I am sick of Christians whining about people disagreeing with them. I'm frustrated. Can you tell? I, I, am, I am sick and tired of Christians being shocked that the world doesn't roll out red carpet for us and welcome us with open arms. Listen, in case you missed it, we are no longer in a society that by claiming to be Christian instantaneously makes you liked by people. For those of you who lived under a rock for the last 30 years, that's the reality. Listen, I'm aware that, that, that before it used to be if you, if you went into a job interview and they heard you were a Christian, that was a positive thing. Listen to me, it's not anymore. That's the world we live in. The answer is to stay on mission and stay on message, is to look, watch for opposition. Paul doesn't say here like, you know, we should just, you know, ignore it and it doesn't really matter. He says, no, let's pray. The word he uses here, when he, when he asks them to pray for him for deliverance though, that word delivered is not a word that means, hey, pray for my self-preservation. Pray that I'll be safe. No, the word delivered is the same word Jesus uses in when he's teaching us how to pray. And he says, you know, deliver us from the evil one. It, it, means, it means to move through, to flow through. The answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is not the rapture. Deliver us from the evil one. Vacuum suck us out of the earth. That's not the answer. The answer is, is that we, we, we've got to be aware that there is opposition and we need to watch for it. We need to understand the lay of the land that we live in. Watch for opposition. But, but, but opposition, listen to me, is not an excuse to stop working for redemption. Watch for opposition. Be aware of the world you live in. Watch for the problems and, and those places where resistance is going to be put up. But continue to work for redemption. Are you hearing me, church? We have to. We don't get, an op, we don't get to opt out of this. Paul's prayer is not for self-preservation, but rather for sustained progress of the king and the kingdom. That's the focus of Paul's life. That's what Paul's giving himself to. And here's, this is what I want to get to, though. This is, this is what I'm driving here as fast as I can. This is what I want to get to. Why? Why does Paul feel this way? What motivates Paul? Because this, let, me just, let me just level with this. It's great to talk about what Paul does. Paul stays on mission. Paul stays, watches for opposition while he works for redemption. Great. Why? Does anybody else think this way? What, what, what's, what's, what's at the root there? What's going on? What's at the heart of what's happening? Paul, what made you live your life this way? What drove you to, to, to be a part of this? And I want to say that Paul's drive, Paul's drive was, was founded on an awareness of God's power and his faithfulness. Paul's drive was founded not on, please hear me, I, I want to be careful with this, okay? But I feel like we, we need to hear this as, as believers, as, as Christians, we, we've got to get this. Paul's 
drive, his push, his dedication and his motivation toward redemption, the, the, the redemptive, rescuing, restoring mission of Jesus came not, hear me please, came not from a brokenheartedness because of the broken world, but rather an awareness of who God is. I believe if there is one problem, and there's way more than one, if there's one problem in the church today, it's that we think too little about our God. He comes to mind too rarely, and when he does, he is a, an idle, insignificant version of the God that we truly serve. Where do I get this idea that Paul, Paul was, was an, had an awareness of the power and faithfulness of God? I get it from two places, this text and one other that we'll get to in a minute, but I get this because what's his first thing here? He says, finally, brothers. Okay, I've, I've kind of answered your questions. I've, I've propped you up. I've tried to encourage you in doing what God does. So now, brothers, finally, pray for me. He doesn't say, send money. He doesn't say, bring more people here so I can get more work done. He says, Pray. Because he's aware, listen to me, he's aware that if he is in, a, in alignment with what God is doing in the earth, no one can stop him. So pray for me. We, we've got to get out of this mindset that prayer is what we do when we can't do anything else. Prayer is what we do because without it, we can't do anything else. Listen, if, if we are not in submitted, surrendered obedience to what God is doing in the earth, then we are wasting our lives. So Paul here is saying, listen, pray for me. Pray that what I'm doing is effective. Pray that, pray that I'll be kept from that which would resist what God is desiring to do. Pray for me. He believed, he was aware of the power of God. He was aware of the faithfulness of God. He says it very plainly here. God is faithful. He, he, he contrasts, he goes, look, people are gonna oppose us. People are not gonna be faithful. I don't think, by the way, he's talking specifically about those who oppose. I think when he says not all men are fa have faith, I think what he's literally saying is, look, other churches have told me they'd pray for me and they're not. Other churches have promised financial uh, support to my ministry and they're failing at it. But listen, people aren't faithful, but God is. So pray to God. When we're faced with situations and circumstances that we see in the earth that we know are not right, is our first response to pray or is it our last response? Is our first response to cry out to God or is it our last? And I think the second place that I understand Paul's awareness comes not from his education, but from an encounter he had. What you might, you may or may not know about Paul is this. Paul wasn't always known as Paul. Paul used to go by the name Saul. When he was Saul, he lived a different life. Can I get an amen from anybody who used to be like that? He was different before Jesus. Paul was pretty significantly different before Jesus. See, Paul, when he was Saul, Instead of praying for the progress of the church, he worked against the church. He persecuted the church. He bound up Christians and hauled them off to jail. That's what he gave his life work to. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Paul is going to do this in a new town. 
And this is what happens to Paul. So this is now he, this is, this is Saul, later Paul. He went on his way. He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, catch this please. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What's the motivation of Paul in giving his life to the purpose of God in the earth? I don't think it was his education. I don't think it was his Bible knowledge. I don't think it came from the fact, well, I'm an apostle. I've got to be doing this. They pay me to do this. I don't think that's what it was. I think based on what he heard Jesus say here, he understood something that you and I, I won't blame you, I fail to remember. And that is that you cannot separate Jesus from his people and his purpose. Paul understood that these people out there who are opposing the work of God, they think they're opposing the work of God, but they don't understand just like he didn't understand. They're not persecuting the church. They're persecuting Jesus. See, Jesus and his purpose and his mission are tied together in the earth today. Now we gotta be careful. I'm not saying we worship the purpose of God or that we worship the people of God. You understand where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is Paul gave himself to this purpose because he understood that in giving himself to the purpose of God, he was giving himself to Jesus. Any life that you want to live that is not completely given over to the purpose of God in the earth today is a life that is worth less than what God would have for you. I didn't say you're worthless, worth less, two words. Paul gave himself to this because he understood the intertwined nature of Jesus and his people and Jesus and his purpose. When, when, when Jesus confronts Paul, he doesn't say, leave my kids alone. He doesn't say, leave my, bro he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my brothers? He says, why are you persecuting me? We serve a different king in a different kingdom. We have different priorities and if we continue to allow the noise of this world to dictate our narrative, then we fail. And it's not us that's failing. Please hear me on this. I, I want to be careful. Jesus is at stake. Are you understanding that? So the next time, okay. The next time you think about replying, the next time you think about reacting, let's just get real. The next time you want to jump in the middle of the pig pen and start hucking mud around, we better realize Jesus. Wait, 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 Jesus. What, what's going on here? What, what's at stake here? What ought to be my motivation? Jesus is my motivation. 
Just as the broken state, please hear me, of the world ought not be my motivation, but rather the person and glory of God ought to be the primary goal of my motivation. In the same way, my service in and church ought not to be motivated because I like all of you people. I mean, I like most of you. I love all of you. But did I say that out loud? But, let's just move on. Um, my motivation is Jesus. My motivation is ought flow from an understanding that I can't separate him from his people. To serve his people is to serve him. To serve his purpose is to serve him. To fail to serve him, fail to serve his people. Now, I told myself I would only do this if I had enough time. And I decided I do. I want to try to get this practical for us because here's the, I don't want this to just be a, a me screaming and yelling and trying to hoop people up. I want to try to put this where we live and yet not dive into the pig pen. <laughs> okay, so, so let's just level all this stuff out. There is more... Um, work that I'm experiencing at least and I'm seeing toward division within the church and to draw away from the purpose of God right now than I've seen in a while. And here's where I, here's where I prophesy. It's only gonna get worse. Um, I don't see like improvement ahead, which means how do we navigate in that? I wanna try to help us navigate in the midst of it. So here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna give you three questions and I'm not gonna preach about these. I'm just gonna give you these. I'm gonna ask you to write them down, put them in your little flat screen and think about them on your own time. Because here, here's, the, here's what I'm, well, let me just read. <laughs> Question number one is what you're doing in service to the kingdom, in service to the king. Is what you're giving your, your, your attention and your, your attitude and your energy toward, is it, is it kingdom-minded? Is it, is, it, is it about glorifying and exalting the king? Is it about his mission? Is it about his message? Or is it worthless? Is it less than that? First. Secondly, and... and I'm aware that right now in the world, in America, in Washington, Spokane, the north side, Spokane, north side, Sozo, right here, there are people in this room who passionately disagree on things. And you want to know one of the things that I love about this church? That there are people in this room who passionately disagree on things. And I want to address that with the last two questions. First is this, this is, this is me pastoring you. With all of the stuff that we're hearing about right now that's getting you all riled up, let me just ask you this question. Did you care about it before Facebook, a blog, YouTube, or the media told you to care about it? I'm just gonna let that sit for a minute. 
Because that's what I mean when I say we're letting the world dictate our narrative. What I, okay, so what do you mean by that? I mean, when you open up your Bible and you read it, does this make you passionate about whatever you're arguing about on Facebook? Screaming about at work? Arguing with friends and family over dinner about? Did it come from this? Or did it come from a podcast you listened to that told you you ought to be passionate about it? If we're going to stay on mission and we're going to stay on message, this has to be what dictates our passions. Because here's the deal. I love you, your passions, just like my passions, and don't look around, but everybody else in the room too, all of our passions are fallen and fickle. They're not to be trusted. This can be. Did you care about it? at all before pick whatever news media you watch, fake news or otherwise. Did you care about it before they told you to care about it? Which leads me to my second point. Third point, <laughs> whatever, question. If you are passionate about it and, you, and it passes that test, no, I was passionate about this from, my, from the reading of the word. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in the forefront of the media right now, but I've been passionate about this for a while. I've been serving and working toward this for some time before it popped up in the media. Okay? Second level. Can you disagree with a believer biblically on it and still fulfill all the mandates that the Bible tells you to for other believers? This is, this is, what I'm, this is what's breaking my heart right now. Person A and person B, both profess their sinfulness and their desire to, to, to receive the redemptive grace of Jesus. They confess their sin, they repent of it, and they are seeking with the grace that God gives them to follow and fulfill the commandments of Jesus. But one of them thinks that the right thing for believers to do is let people from any other country into our country and they've got their verses to back them up. This person thinks we ought to protect ourselves and figure out what's going on first and wants to take some time to do that. And they got their verses. This is what's pissing me off right now. My wife will yell at me later, don't worry. Well, you're not even a Christian if you think that way. You're fighting in public when you fight on Facebook. These things ought not be among you. Can you disagree biblically without questioning somebody's salvation? Are we, I mean, come on, we're, are we letting the world dictate to us this much? Well, if you voted for that person, you can't really be a Christian. Last time I checked, you can vote for anybody you want as long as you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. I, I have yet to find it. If you found it, please come, please come talk to me afterwards. Show me in the book where there's a chapter and verse that requires a political party alignment for your eternal salvation. Am I saying there's not better choices and worse choices? Absolutely. Am I saying that politics doesn't matter? No. But listen to me, let's just, let's just, let's just cut to the chase. A refugee from Somalia coming to America will not save their soul. America is not the hope of the world. And keeping Somalian refugees out of America does not guarantee you safety because Jesus never guaranteed you safety. He said, lose your life if you really want to find it. And what's, why I'm passionate about this has nothing to do with being passionate about the issue. It has to do with the fact that I'm watching Christians tear each other apart. 
and just jump right into the middle of the mud with everybody else. So I'm gonna use whatever pulpit platform mouth I have to try to speak into this and call us back to Jesus. Because when we resist the mission of Jesus, we are resisting Jesus. We got one message, it's the gospel. That's it. We got one mission, the rescuing of the lost and the restoration of the world. That's what we're about. What's my hope for America? That the church would rise up and be the church because only we can be the church. So what do we do in opposition? We stay on mission, we stay on message. We watch for opposition as we work for redemption and we remember that God is powerful and faithful. He's at work. 